Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain. The mission of this podcast is to improve the quality of life for those affected by brain injury. The Mind Your Brain Foundation is devoted to giving you help and hope, tools and tips so you can reach the highest recovery that's possible. Let's concentrate on your recovery together. My name is Candace Gant. I'm a brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conferences and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. I am also a proud member of the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. Today, my guest is Dr. Stephen Hampton. Dr. Hampton is an assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at the University of Pennsylvania. His clinical practice focuses on the care of individuals with severe brain injury, primarily in the acute hospital stage and inpatient rehabilitation settings. His responsibilities also include education of medical students, residents, and fellows. He completed his medical school at the University of Texas Medical Center at Houston and went on to Rutgers New Jersey Medical School for his residency and fellowship. Dr. Hampton joined the faculty of the University of Pennsylvania in 2017. Dr. Hampton, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to our podcast today. Thank you for your finding time to squeeze us into your busy schedule. Thank you very much, Candice. I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure. So I would like us to focus on one area of your expertise, and that's sleep. This topic seems to be an enormous concern for brain injury survivors. So can we start it off? Can you tell us why our sleep is disrupted after a brain injury? Absolutely. Um, this is definitely a very important um, kind of aspect of recovery I see for um, probably all of the patients that I see after experiencing a brain injury. It's extremely common. Um, and I think there are several reasons often for each patient that it can be impacted. Um, often this can be direct injury of the brain architecture that helps us regulate our sleep, um, but also many other factors can influence this. So this can be associated with pain or headaches that can affect sleep. Um, there can be issues with balance or dizziness or other symptoms that can make it difficult to have different positions. Um, so it really depends on each person and what impacts it. Um, but we do know that you know, really trying to systematically address each of these factors um, becomes very important in improving people's sleep and their overall health and recovery after injury. And thank you. So is it purely a physical reaction to a brain injury having sleep disruption? It's a good question. Uh, and I would say often there is absolutely a physical component to it. Uh, and each person has such an individual experience with this, um, but at, there are often kind of non-physical factors associated either with perhaps processing the trauma of the event that occurred um, that can affect someone's sleep. So maybe things like nightmares, other experiences related to that experience, um, or, um, you know, kind of stress associated with the ch adapting to the change that's happened in your life and how many different ways it's impacted you, um, but also the way it impacts your activity through the day. And certainly our routines and our habits and these things are so critical to how we sleep and how we rest. So I think it's great you asked that because there absolutely are kind of biological bases for why our sleep is disrupted, but also many other factors we need to be mindful of. It, it's interesting, yeah, that there's many, uh, many disturbances, many causes of disturbances. Yes. So now how do we improve our sleep quality? 
Sure. Well, I think part of that is really being mindful of all those factors. Um, and, and a lot of what I do with patients is, you know, really thinking about our big picture goal is, so perhaps it's improving sleep or perhaps it's improving how someone feels in their wakefulness in the daytime, uh, which is certainly so common after an injury to the brain. Um, and really kind of trying to systematically go through each of those things. And there are some general things that I review with every patient that I think are probably good for any of us, whether or not we've had a brain injury, um, mm -hmm. but are even more essential, even more important for people that have had this because the sensitivities to these factors really increases. Uh, so some really general things that I really counsel anyone to think about is um, really is starting with the habit of it and starting with the routine of it. So partly because of kind of uh, neurochemical and brain architecture uh, impairments in brain injury, um, this really can affect our circadian rhythm. So this is the way that our brain really regulates when we feel more awake and when we feel more asleep. And so often, you know, releases of chemicals in our brain like melatonin can be disrupted um, directly from a brain injury. Um, and so really trying to augment and really control the environment around that to help that to recover becomes important. So making sure we have a very consistent bedtime, you know, we're not having it vary really widely, especially weekdays versus weekends, which is a common thing we see, uh, and really being very specific and realistic. So if you're not going to go to bed at 9 p.m., but it's going to be midnight, but it's going to be consistent every day, um, then that's okay as long as you're being consistent. And, and, and equally important is the consistency of the wake up time. You know, if you're getting up some days at 6 a.m. and other days at noon, um, it's gonna be really hard for your body and your brain to get used to that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and we're talking about, talking about that sleep disruption, but on the other hand, I remember I slept a lot during my brain injury and, and I was exhausted for months after. Uh, when do our sleep patterns change? What happened there? That's a great question. And you're absolutely right. I think that um, there is definitely is some variability and, and kind of hypersomnolence or feeling extra tired is very commonly seen. And I don't know if we have a perfect answer as to why that's happening, but it does seem to be something about the way that the kind of metabolism brain energy kind of pathways are impacted by this. Um, and so um, that definitely is very commonly seen. Um, so I would say that for many people, in, improvements in that um, really can vary. Sometimes it's only a few days. Sometimes it can be up to weeks or months after injury. Unfortunately, for some people with really severe, severe brain injury, um, this can persist for years, unfortunately, uh, in some cases. So it's really difficult to give an exact time frame um, for how long that can happen. Um, but even the sim similar principles that you would use to improve overnight sleep would be similar for how you would try to approach the kind of increased sleepiness in the daytime or increased need for sleep. And it really does continue things like the habit of it and the routine of it. So one common thing I see is people, um, you know, after that initial period of recovery, you have to listen to your body. But down the line, if you're really having very prolonged daytime naps for multiple hours in the day, then that, then that very commonly sets up a bad cycle where then you have trouble sleeping. At so I often try to get people to limit their daytime naps to no more than about 30 minutes. Uh, and that seems to be the least disruptive duration where perhaps you'll feel a little bit more restored, but then also still be able to sleep in the evening. Mm -hmm. uh, I think being mindful of that uh, becomes important. Um, but, but just like you're saying, early in the injury recovery period, um, you know, being extra sleepy is very common and it's okay to listen to your body as you're recovering uh, early on. So it could go from one extreme to the other. I could be exhausted and then I reach that uh, a turning point 
in my recovery and then I have insomnia and I have challenges with the sleep. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. Exactly. And I would say, you know, um, the most common thing we would hear, especially when you're talking weeks to months out from an injury is the difficulty sleeping overnight, um, which often does translate to increased sleepiness at daytime. Um, and, and, and typically the sleepiness in the daytime is the factor that people are the most bothered by because it's difficult to do your therapies. It's difficult to do your daily activities and your responsibilities. And so um, I think we often kind of underappreciate the impact that overnight sleep has on, on, on that experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so could you give us some tools, Dr. Hampton, and tell us uh, some tools and tips to get us through the night if we do have that insomnia. If sure. I'm having problems sleeping too much, that's that for some people is not a problem, but the insomnia certainly is. Absolutely it is. So I would say one um, really challenging aspect, really important to be mindful of is this, it's often, there's not much you can do on one evening. It's more about what you do over the course of several evenings to try to really get your body into a good rhythm with this. So um, there certainly are tips and tricks that can help in that one evening, but I think just being more thinking more at a large scale sense of what our goal is. So if our goal is to get you sleeping better, uh, we need to kind of really think of it as a habit. We're almost training our body back to doing that again. Um, especially for individuals in their brain injury where a hospitalization was associated with it. Uh, we know that sleep disruption in the hospital setting is really common. Um, and, and so I think being mindful that and recovering from that is important. Um, so kind of getting back a little bit to the insomnia idea, especially if you're already in the home setting and you're kind of just trying to work on that rhythm, I think really thinking about the factors that may um, you know, be around your daytime, your, uh, daytime routine. So like I was saying before, having a consistent bedtime and even a ritual around kind of preparing for that bedtime is often really thought about. So whatever your realistically picked time is, so if it's gonna be 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., that at least an hour and ideally two hours before that time, you are gonna do something that helps you prepare for that sleep. So one of the most important things in our modern world is screens and being mindful of screens. So people often, if they have trouble sleeping, are gonna watch TV or they're gonna look at their smartphone and bring their smartphone into the bedroom with them. Um, And that light directly inhibits our body's ability to secrete melatonin, um, which helps us to feel sleepy and helps us to really get into that mode of going to bed and staying asleep. Um, And so uh, that's definitely, if you're feeling issues with sleeping, I think being very deliberate to put your phone away uh, many now, many smartphones now have even features that will sort of encourage this. Um, and I think really utilizing those and not undervaluing those can be very important. Um, and unfortunately, the effect of that light can last for hour, an hour or more uh, in some cases. So I think, you know, not, not just sort of putting it away and then going right down, but more making it a kind of a rhythm and a routine that you're going to do. So instead, maybe reading a book with some low light, if that's okay for you from a symptom perspective, uh, or listening to an audiobook or something that you find relaxing can be a very helpful kind of routine. So I think building out whatever it is that's going to feel good to you and be a good routine, but work with that. Mm-hmm. And how about mindfulness? I know that there's a bit of a lot of discussion about having a quiet time or a mindfulness uh, regimen or routine. Absolutely. Would that fit in there as well? Absolutely. I, I definitely think so. I think, you know, it really depends on each person and their kind of connection with those experiences and, and that kind of approach. Some people, I think, find that uh, hard for them to connect with, but I, I have found mm-hmm. many patients have found it extremely helpful. Uh, and I know for myself personally, that's a, a practice that I find very helpful. 
Um, so yes, I think this would be something that we should you know, really think about and kind of explore. You know, another aspect of the routine I often talk about with my patients is different substances that we know can impact our sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do have many patients that talk to me that they may um, have alcohol when they're having trouble sleeping and, you know, have a glass of wine or whatever it is that helps them kind of get in that routine. That's very common, um, even people that haven't had an injury. Um, and one important thing to be mindful of is alcohol can make people feel sleepy and in some cases may help them fall asleep. But as our body breaks down that alcohol, it produces a chemical that can actually make you feel more awake. So it's actually pretty common, that especially if you have you know, a glass or two, or you have a little more, that, that it often will have this sort of, you fall asleep, and then you wake up three or four hours later and feel very awake. Um, not to mention, it can affect your need to you know, use the restroom and things like this that can also be disruptive to sleep. So um, there's several reasons after a brain injury you really would want to um, be very mindful and limit uh, alcohol intake. And especially if you're having trouble sleeping, I really would not recommend it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I didn't realize that that had a, an effect after a couple of hours because yes, it does make you sleepy. I, I can attest to that. Right, right. And when would it be appropriate for them? So I've gone through a routine, I've been consistent, I have a ritual, but I can't really get, get the right rhythm down. When is it time to visit a professional? That's a great question. Um, so I think in general, um, it, it's very difficult to give exact timings because everyone's so different in their journey. So for those individuals that had more of a, um, what we call a mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, where they did not lose consciousness for an extended period, um, a majority of people that have this experience are gonna have their symptoms improve within usually about um, six weeks is the most common time frame that we think about. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately for some people, it is much longer. Uh, and so I would say that if you are having consistent issues with sleep, I would say somewhere in the order of about a month or two after an injury to the brain, then it's pretty important, I think, to start looking into talking with a, a medical provider about this, uh, seeing what options there are. Um, but certainly, you know, even before then, if you've been having trouble sleeping, you're probably going to be looking for input and approaches and ways to help. Um, but certainly you want to try to avoid developing some of these bad habits that can affect the recovery. Um, so I think for each person, it really just depends on the severity of what they're experiencing as far as the, the timing of when it would be best. Um, but certainly, I think that being very honest with yourself about how you've used some of these techniques, and usually this is talked about, the term is sort of sleep hygiene. It's kind of how uh -huh. this is talked mm -hmm. about. Uh, and, and I would say often I'm reviewing these things with patients and they're aware of these things. These are kind of like common sense in some sense. But I think, you know, we are all have to be honest with ourselves that we may not do these things perfectly. Um, and I think just really redoubling your efforts and, and really acknowledging how important it is, is really important to really making the gains you'd like. You have to commit to it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes. And, and like I said before, it's not going to fix it that night, but over the course of a week or more, um, you really would often see the, the dividends to that. Excellent. Is there anything else, anything I missed or anything you wanna share with our listeners uh, that could give them the any advice to help them get through yeah. the night and, and overcome this, this challenge they have? Sure, so you know, I think that um, just as important in what we do in our evening and with our rhythms at night is what we do in our daytime. And from a more general brain injury recovery perspective as well as for promoting sleep, I think it's becoming more clear that exercise and activity um, really is quite important. 
Mm -hmm. um, and it's certainly for a lot of the patients that I see in the hospital setting, you know, they're really not able to, to move around much. And that's a lot of the reasons we see this issue with their sleep is, you know, when you're lying in a bed or you're in a bed and not able to move very much, it just, you know, very dramatically affects our sleep. So I do think that being within what you're able to do in a way that's not going to make you feel other symptoms, um, because symptom worsening after a traumatic brain injury with exercise is quite common. Um, but I think doing something that doesn't make you feel bad, but is, is somewhat active. So whether that's taking a walk or something that helps you elevate your heart rate a little bit, um, absolutely can also correlate with helping you sleep better in the evening. Um, but usually we wouldn't want to do this within a few hours of sleep. So kind of earlier in the day, some sort of physical exertion um, really can help quite a bit. Uh, and then also the foods we eat. Um, so, so if you had a really big, heavy meal within a few hours of trying to sleep, often this also um, can make it difficult to sleep. So, uh, and trying to really, you know, anything that's good for the body is good for the brain and good for healing. So, you know, you know, um, meals that are, you know, good, um, rich in fruits and vegetables and other things that are healthy for us um, can certainly also often help us sleep better. Great advice, great advice. And so uh, another question I think maybe our listeners have, and I just wanna to touch on it briefly, is that there's off the shelf medications that sometimes can help us, but sometimes not. And I know that's a sensitive subject for some people, but you don't wanna um, over medicate uh, and, and avoid doing this, this routine and the hard work that's required. Sure. So I think that, you know, in evaluating all those things, um, it's, it can be challenging. Many of the over-the-counter medications are not regulated by the FDA, so it's difficult to you know, recommend them widely. So I think any, any use of an over-the-counter or prescription medication should be discussed with a medical provider, um, and even perhaps even just starting with your primary care provider, uh, and then pursuing more of a specialist opinion if it becomes necessary. Um, but I think, certainly, I think your question is great, that there are certain ones, especially after a brain injury that can people can be more sensitive to the effects of. So perhaps this is something you used in the past and was quite helpful to you. Uh, and then you experienced a brain injury and perhaps it affected you more. So one common example we see are medications um, that contain um, Benadryl or diphenhydramine. Um, so this is, um, you know, is commonly seen in things like Tylenol PM or uh, Advil PM and things that the PM usually refers to the diphenhydramine or Benadryl. Um, and um, for many people, um, after a brain injury, they are more sensitive to the effects of this chemical. Uh, and they may make them feel drowsy even the following day or affect their thinking clarity. Okay. Um, and so I think, you know, certainly I think uh, if you find that you're needing to use kind of over-the-counter things really routinely for sleep, that would be a good thing to review with a medical provider and see if perhaps there's other options that could be used as better alternatives. We certainly don't want to interrupt clear thinking. Definitely not. And that's so essential after recovery. That's so what, one of the most common things people experience that's challenging for them after this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Hampton, you've given our listeners so much to think about and such good advice. Uh, you must be very busy in your clinic, uh, the clinical rehabilitation practice, and, and we deeply appreciate your time with us today. My pleasure. And to our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. There are millions, 5.3 million to be exact, million other survivors that are still struggling that you could help them by providing this information. And so share it far and wide. You can be a partner with us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and please leave us a message. 
And speaking of comments, if you would like us uh, to send us any recommendations for future podcasts, please, we welcome your input. Email us at info, I-N-F-O, at mindyourbrainfoundation.org. Thank you for joining us. Here's my virtual hug. You are not invisible to us. <laughs>